are listening to the Mile Straight podcast. For more information on Mile Straight or to watch a video version of this podcast, visit www.milestraightbc.org. The speaker for today is our senior pastor, Tom Goss. Today we're going to be dealing with the topic, Hurts Perfectly. It almost sounds like it contradicts itself. It hurts perfectly, but we're going to see that that actually, thanks, Mickey, that that actually is a possibility that uh, that, that could take place. Something could hurt perfectly. We're going to be looking at uh, Psalm chapter 34, verse 19. Psalm 34, verse 19. And um, uh, we're going to be viewing a verse that most of us would not consider to be extremely encouraging. Now, I assume that most of us have had bad weeks before. And uh, I would assume that if you say, no, I've never had a bad week, then probably one of three things is true about you. Either you're extremely young, you are, I'll say four things. I'll pull, a, I'll pull what she did. You're either extremely young, you're, you're extremely naive, you're extremely positive, or you're a big liar. Okay. Let's just lay it out, okay? So probably one to four things are true if you say you've never had a bad week. And I'm talking about the weeks that come to where it seems like every time you turn around, something else is going wrong. Something else is happening. You think you're getting out of one thing, and another thing slaps you. Or you just, you're just trying to breathe in the middle of one thing, and something else slaps you. It just keeps piling on and on and on and on. It's just hard all the time. I... Uh, I thought about weeks like that, and I, I realized, you know, there are passages in the Bible when those things happen that are such a blessing. You can go to the Word of God, you can read those passages, you can be encouraged, you can be strengthened, uh, you can be challenged maybe in the times that are difficult. But then there are also verses in the Bible that maybe are not as, as helpful, at least from a human perspective. As we look at the verses from a human perspective, we might say, well, that's not a verse I would go to for comfort. The verse that we have for our text verse today, Psalm 34, 19, may be one of those because this verse starts out, many are the afflictions of the righteous. How is that encouraging to know? I mean, I'm going through this difficult week. I'm hoping to, to read something that says it's one and done. Okay, guys, one and done. You've gone through this. Don't worry about it anymore. And then I come to verse 19 of Psalm 34 where it says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous. I'm thinking, oh, no. You mean it doesn't get any better? It doesn't get any better. And if we just look at it on the surface, then maybe we misunderstand the text. If we, if we just take a, a human perspective view of it, instead of trying to understand what God intends by the passage, maybe we misunderstand and we view this as a verse that is not encouraging when in fact this is a verse that is extremely encouraging when we understand it fully. And so this morning, I just want to get into an old-fashioned Bible study. I just want to dig out some things from this verse that will help us understand it, that will help us carry it into context to know that this is, in fact, a verse that lends itself to comfort and strengthening even in the middle of difficulties, okay? 
So if you're taking notes, get ready to write. The first word that I want to draw out of this is the word righteous. Let me read the verse to you. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. The righteous. Okay, so he addresses to whom he is talking. He lays it out. He says, here's the recipient of this particular thought in this passage. It is written to the righteous. And you may say, okay, well then how do I know if I fit into that category or not? How do I know if I'm one of the righteous that this verse is written to? Or do I just throw up my hand and say, well, it's not applicable to me. It doesn't matter. Pretty good question, I believe. The answer is that righteous, the righteousness means the holiness and the perfection of Jesus Christ. That's righteousness. And you may say, okay, well then it doesn't apply to me. In fact, it doesn't apply to anyone because the Bible very clearly says there is none that are righteous. There are none that are righteous, not even one. And it also says we have all sin, universally, we have all sin. We were born in sin and as sinners we continued the process throughout life. And we would look at that and say, then how in the world can I be righteous? How can I take on the holiness and the perfection of Jesus Christ if I am not righteous, if I am a sinner, if there is no way for me in my own ability to become righteous? How in the world can this verse possibly apply to me? And I think, once again, that is a really good question. Because the fact is, we can never in our own ability become righteous. I can never work enough or give enough or do enough or, or how my good outweigh my bad enough to where I can achieve the level of perfection the Word of God talks about when it talks about being righteous. I cannot get there. And I've got some bad news for you. You can't either. So then how do we get to the place to where we make it to where this verse is talking about us. And of course, many of us understand that it's all based upon what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross of Calvary. The Bible talks about us being sinners. We therefore are carrying the, the weight of our sin around. And someday we will have to pay the price of our sin. That is eternal death, eternal separation. But God loved the world so much, loved us individually so much that he gave his one-of-a-kind son. He allowed him to become sin, to take the sin of the world upon himself, to die on the cross of Calvary so that we might be forgiven. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake God made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made Jesus become sin, to take the burden of our sin to the cross, to bear the brunt of God's wrath and judgment upon our sin, so that in turn we might take on the righteousness through Jesus Christ of Almighty God. We might be claimed as perfect and holy because of what Jesus Christ did for us. You say, but wait a minute, Tom. Unfortunately, I'm still human. I'm still sinning every day. That is unfortunate, isn't it? It's applicable to all of us. 
We could go back to point number four in the first part where we were talking about if you say you haven't had a bad week, then you come to this. If you say that you've never sinned or that you don't do that anymore, then the same applies. And you're just being unrealistic. But the truth of the matter is, when Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, and when we by faith accepted the sacrifice he made as payment for our sin, the sin that, that we had done to that point and the sin that we will continue to do has been forgiven. It's been removed as far as the east is from the west. It will never be thrown up in our faces again. It doesn't mean that we won't suffer consequences because of our actions, but it does mean that God will never bring us to glory to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and say, now let's talk about these sins you did. Why? Because they have been forgiven, been forgotten. What an incredible blessing. What an incredible blessing for a pastor who is a continual sinner to know that God has forgiven me, that God has wiped it away, that it has been removed, that I will answer for the deeds done in my body, whether they, good or, whether they are good or bad, for the motives, the intents of my heart, but I will never answer for my sin because when Jesus paid for my sin, he paid for it in full, in full. So then when we talk about the righteous, when, when the psalmist is laying out and saying, here's the group to whom I am writing, I'm writing to the righteous, he's talking about those of us who are part of the family of God. We've been born into the family of God. We are claimed as righteous. <clears throat> that then brings us to the second word. The second word is a word that, along with one other word in the verse, are the two words in the verse that make us not like this verse. It is the word afflictions. Afflictions. He tells us that the afflictions are upon the righteous. That the righteous face affliction. Now what does it mean to say that we have faced afflictions? Afflictions are those things that hurt they're those things that bring trouble and heartache and test and fears and, and sorrow and difficulty and pain into our lives. That's the afflictions. <clears throat> he says that the afflictions come to the righteous. Not exactly what we were hoping to hear, right? We were hoping to hear that once you become a Christian, that once you've stepped into eternal life through the the, the provision of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, that we no longer face problems and difficulties. But here's reality once again. Reality is that we face afflictions, that we face heartaches, that we face difficulties. But here's the good part of this. Despite the fact that it looks difficult, it looks painful, it looks like this is not what I want, we find in other parts of Scripture, as we bring it into context, we find that there is a purpose for the afflictions which we face. That God doesn't just throw things on us and say, you know what, we'll see how you respond to this. No, God allows things into our lives for the purpose of achieving what He desires to have happen in our lives. Okay, like what? Well, 
let's say that something bad happens in my life. You know what one of the first things I do, if it's happening in my life, and even more so if it's happening to my daughter, my son-in-law, or my grandchildren, God has my attention. Boom. All of a sudden, God has my undivided attention, and he has me in a place where I'm wanting to be as close to him as possible because I'm wanting to talk to him about the affliction that's going on. And like I said, particularly when it's in the life of someone else, my wife, my children, grandchildren, I'm wanting to be able to talk to him about the afflictions that are happening. I'm wanting to be able to bring those to him. So God has my attention. So he uses the afflictions in a lot of ways to bring a purging in my life. To bring a place to where I recognize the evil that's in my life. And I begin to remove it through prayer, through confession. God wants to eliminate those things. Those things that are, that are moving me away from him. He wants to eliminate that from my life. And sometimes he will use affliction to accomplish it. I can go back to some very specific times in my life and tell you, here's where God used affliction in that very way. God used affliction to draw me closer to him. God will also use affliction in our life for maturity, to mature us, to strengthen us, to develop us. We don't know what's down the road. We don't know what God is equipping us for in the middle of affliction. But we have the certainty that God is up to something, that God is at work even in the middle of our affliction, that God has not deserted us even in the middle of our affliction. God is at work in our lives. And one of the things God wants to do is to prepare us for something that's down the road. God has some long-range goals in mind for our lives. Some things that he's working, preparing, and equipping us for that we have no clue that's on the way. God is at work equipping us. Here's another one you may not have thought of. That God will sometimes use affliction to get the attention of someone else in our lives. God will sometimes use affliction in my life or sometimes affliction in, in a family member's life to get, to get the attention of the one whom we've been praying for for years that God would save. Or maybe God's using this affliction to get a hold of that child that is wayward, that's gone away from God. He's using the affliction to get their attention, to draw them back. And so maybe if we really want to see God at work in the lives of our loved ones, maybe it would do us well to stop complaining about our afflictions and start thanking God for them. Now we're getting into some tough territory. God, I don't like what's happening in my life. I don't understand it, but I know I know beyond any shadow of a doubt that you've got a reason for it. And so, God, I'm, I'm just going to trust you. Thank you for what you're doing because I know you're up to something. I know you're up to something. And so he says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Afflictions seem to be such a down statement, and yet God is using it in such a powerful way to bring about something that is positive. 
The third word then has to be married to the second, and you will understand as soon as I say it. It is the word many. Many are the afflictions. There are many afflictions in the lives of the righteous. Many afflictions. And once again, we want to view that and say, no, I've done that one. I won't have to face anything like that again. And yet God is showing us that it's not a one and done. It's not a, once you've conquered that, well, you've made it to the next level. Eventually you're going to get to the place where you don't have those difficulties. You don't have those afflictions because you've overcome it all. (laughs) No, the truth is there is so much in our lives that God is wanting to do. There is so much to which God is wanting to work, to develop, to draw, to, to bring others And one of the ways he accomplishes that is through the many afflictions. God uses affliction. The blessing for us is that we can understand that none of those afflictions are wasted. They all serve a purpose. Romans 8, 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We know that all things work together for good. That can't possibly mean the afflictions. Yes, it means the afflictions. Even the afflictions God is using, the many afflictions God is using for our good and for His glory. Even the many afflictions God has a purpose for what's happening in our lives. Even the many afflictions God is saying, I've got something I'm doing. And here's the incredible thought. I mean, this to me is, is, is really mind-boggling. That God knows how the affliction I'm facing today will affect my life in years. But he also knows how I respond to this affliction, how it's going to affect my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren three and four generations down. God knows what's happening right now, how the pieces of the puzzle are going to be moved around, how it's going to form this eternal picture that he's working to accomplish. He knows exactly what he's up to and what he's going to achieve. I can't think that far ahead. You know, I have a difficult time thinking a week ahead sometimes. But here it is, God is laying out an eternal picture and he sees it all from from Adam right on down to the time that Jesus Christ returns for the church. And he sees it all, he sees it on even beyond that into the the kingdom of Christ, the thousand year reign, into the, the, the judgment seat of Christ, eternity, he sees it all. And he sees how the affliction I face today is moving pieces years from now. That's That's inconceivable for me. I can't imagine how God could know all that. And yet we know that all things, for those who love God, work together for good. God has a plan. God has a purpose. Now, you could look at this and say, okay, I get what you're saying, but why does he say it's to the righteous? I mean, we all have bad weeks. Even those of us who aren't part of the family of God, we all have bad weeks. 
Well, it's because the part that applies to the righteous has not been determined yet or has not been told yet. It's on the way in the last part of the verse. We're going to see it applied to us here in just a minute. But so far, we're just talking about something in general. God then says, this is for the righteous, and he lays it out. And here's what he says. But the Lord delivers him. The Lord delivers him. The, the final word is the word delivers. Delivers. Here's where the blessing really starts to shine out of this verse. I mean, we've seen blessings. We see that God has determined us to be righteous based upon the work of Jesus Christ and by faith us receiving that. We've seen the working of God through afflictions, the many afflictions, how he's bringing about what is good. And now we see that God does not intend for us to stay in those afflictions. But God is going to deliver us from them. Now, the difficult part of this is that it's not necessarily going to happen the way we want it to. It's not going to necessarily happen when we want it to. I'm just going to give you a little illustration. When, when my dad was going through his final days of cancer, we had been praying all alone as a family that God would heal him. We understood that that probably was not part of God's plan for his life. We knew that. But we recognized the ability of God to bring healing into his life. We were also praying, God heal him, but we want it now. Now, i got to be honest with you. I'm, I'm fairly impatient when it comes to affliction. I wish that I could learn a little more from this study and grow in that, but... But to this point, I'm a little bit impatient. I just want it to be over. And we didn't want to see Daddy suffer. We didn't want to see him going through what he was going through. And so we just wanted it to be over. Just let it in. And yet the truth is, God didn't do it our way. God didn't heal him. I mean, he ultimately healed him in, in the most incredible way possible. He now is enjoying life unlike he's ever enjoyed before. But he didn't do it our way. And he didn't do it in our time frame. Here's the truth. If God has a reason for affliction, and he does... And if God is the only one who knows what will be accomplished through the affliction, not only on a short-term basis, but on a long-term basis, and he does, and he is, then wouldn't it also stand to reason that God's going to do it how he determines to be best, and he will bring deliverance when he sees that it is time. God has a purpose for it, and if God knows the outcome, what, what he's trying to do in our lives, then doesn't it stand to reason that God is going to complete the process when he sees fit in the way that he knows to be best? And aren't we better off when he does it that way? Aren't we better off when God determines it for us? And instead of listening to me whine and complain about it and then changing things up, God says, no, that's not what's best. 
here's the way it's going to be done. You'll see when it's completed, when it's finally going to be over. Till then, just need you to trust me. Once again, I go back to the thought that maybe it's time we stop complaining about it. We start saying, God, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. promise gets better when we understand that it is the Lord who delivers it's not up to me it's not God saying I'm going to give you the ability to figure this out I'm pretty slow I'm pretty weak minded I'm so thankful he doesn't do that I'm just thankful that he says when it's time And it continues even further when he says he delivers them out of them all. All the afflictions. We haven't been left here to go through an affliction for our entire life. God will deliver us from our afflictions. Every single one of them. Now for some it may not be until we reach eternity. It's the way it was for my dad. I can assure you that the present sufferings are not to be compared with the glory that awaits us in heaven. This present suffering, what we go through here to prepare us for what is to come, either here or in eternity, is not to be compared with what is waiting for us on the other side of death's door.